come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And I memorized these in college, and I probably quoted them to myself hundreds of times over the years. And I know I'm not alone. When we began this series on the quotable Jesus, we started compiling a list of some of the most important and memorable things that Jesus said. And I knew, even before I made the list, that these words would be on that list. Jesus is the most quoted figure in history, and these are among the most comforting words that he ever spoke, which is why so many, like me, over the years, have gone to these words for comfort. Many feeling tired and worn out and burdened by the cares of life have heard the invitation that Jesus offers to come. And in coming, have found rest for their souls, discovering that the way of life that Jesus has for us is the life we've been meant to live. But before we get to the the words of Jesus, it might be important for us to, for a moment at least, to be honest, because today, people often cultivate a perfect social media image, and maybe sometimes even make others feel envious at the same time. But the reality can be very different. People everywhere carry heavy burdens. It might be a child who's being bullied at school, or a teenage girl who compares herself continually to Photoshop celebrities, or a boy or a girl who gets cut from a traveling team, a student struggling to keep up at school, a college senior who's anxious about whether or not they're gonna find a good job. It could be a chronic illness or a difficult marriage or a wayward child or financial stress or loneliness or regret or any of a dozen other things that any of us struggle with. But none of those things make it onto a Facebook feed or are posted on Instagram. And in Jesus' day, it was no different. In fact, in many ways, life was worse. It was bleak. In Jesus' day, only the rich had enough to eat. Farmers worked in the hot sun all day with their hands, a few crude tools, and maybe an animal or two. Illnesses that can be cured today with a trip to the doctor and a $20 copay could kill you or disable you. Life expectancy was short. Many were blind or deaf or crippled and could only live by begging. And those are just the physical challenges that people faced. In Jesus' day, there were a group of religious leaders who were kind of Navy SEALs, at least in the religious terms. They believed in setting high standards and piling on more and more rules. It's a little wonder that what Jesus said was so memorable, so remembered, and later written down. His words gave comfort and hope and a vision for a different way of life. Come to me. Jesus didn't tell them to unload their burdens by obeying a set of rules. He simply said, come. It's a personal invitation. Just over a year ago, we introduced a new strategic vision for City Church, and the first of four of those values that we introduced is our desire to invite everyone into a relationship with Jesus. Christian faith is unique. At the core, it's not a system of rules and rituals, although it has those, but it's a relationship, and Jesus invites each one of us to come to come away from our self-sufficiency and self-centeredness and pride, our insistence that we live life the way we want to live, into a life of peace and meaning and purpose and strength and hope that we can find no other place. He says, receive the invitation that I offer you and come, all of you. And that means all of us. The invitation Jesus offers isn't just for a few, but it's an invitation to go to him as our Lord and Savior and friend especially when we're tired and worn out. The world Jesus entered uh, was similar and different from ours. One of the ways in which it was different is in those days, the word religion 
had a good name. Our world is different. In general, we reject the idea of rigid moral rules. But for the Jewish people, religion permeated all of life. And over time, though, something unfortunate had happened, something I've already alluded to. In an attempt to define the way of life that God had for them, uh, what they did is raise the standard so high that only a few could achieve it. It was kind of a spiritual one-upmanship. And to make matters worse, as they piled on these rules and rituals, people felt burdened, burdened and powerless to fulfill what they felt was required of them. It was a legalism that left people exhausted and many were tempted to give up. And to them, Jesus says, I will give you rest. So imagine what they felt like. Rest for those who were trying to live up to impossible standards. Rest for those who were weary in other ways. Maybe financial pressures or impossible jobs or burdened by family conflict or poor health or simply just weighed down by guilt and regret. And to those and all of us, Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Many today say that their life goal is to pursue happiness. We've even embedded this in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Jesus knew what most of us learn eventually, and that is that happiness comes and goes. So he offers something far better, rest for our souls, rest that comes from God, rest that satisfies our deepest cravings of our hearts. And the rest Jesus offers us, although it doesn't come without an exemption from difficulty, and it doesn't mean a life of leisure, is nonetheless a life of rest. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, I intended to put an image of it, I forgot, but uh, if you can just imagine a, 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 a wood bar, and then there are loops in which they, the oxen would, would put their necks. And it's designed to help a pair of oxen pull a heavy burden, whether it's a cart or a wagon or a plow, and it's for working. And so when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he's telling us to join him in the work that he has for us. Jesus offers us rest, but he doesn't call us to a life of idleness. Instead, he asks that we give ourselves to him, that we let him direct our lives, that we learn to live for him, not just for ourselves. Now, the idea of a yoke was familiar, not only because they saw them in the fields every day, but also because the religious leaders in those days used the word yoke to describe the law the Old Testament law, and the idea was that the law, the moral code and religious rituals given to the Jewish people would lead them into the way of life that God had for them. It was intended to be a source of joy. But again, by the time of Jesus, it had become a burden. Jesus tells them that this yoke should not be a burden, but it should be something far different. And so he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke was simple in design. It was designed to be able to make it possible for a pair of oxen to work with ease, and it would be tailor-made to fit those two uh, animals. They would shave it and shape it in just such a way so that it didn't chafe and rub. So when Jesus says that the yoke is easy, he's telling us that it fits well, and it fits well for us. That the life Jesus gives us is not a burden, but it fits our needs and abilities, it cuts the load in half, and it's also the way of life that Jesus has designed for us. Without a yoke, one animal would have to pull the entire load, but two can share the load with a yoke. And the yoke Jesus gave is meant for two. So we're to take up our part of the yoke, and Jesus takes up the other. So when we submit to him and surrender our will to, uh, to him, he works with us, he carries us along. 
He makes even the heaviest of burdens light. Now that's not again to say that our problems go away. In fact, he knows our anxieties, our fears, our temptations, even the responsibilities that he gives us. And he knows that life can be hard, but he promises to walk alongside of us and to share these things with us. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus lowers the standards. In fact, in some ways, Jesus raises the standards. The way that Jesus lays out for us is harder and easier at the same time. Harder because he says, I don't just want part of you, I want all of you. I don't just want part of your time and part of your money, I want all of you. And he doesn't relax the rules. In fact, in a famous sermon that he gave earlier in Matthew, in chapters five to seven, something we call the Sermon on the Mount, he uh, used, in some ways, the Ten Commandments and raised the bar. So for example, instead of saying, don't murder, he said, don't even get angry. Instead of saying, don't commit adultery, he said, don't even lust. Elsewhere, he said that we needed to be prepared to leave family and possessions, even give up our lives. So the rest that he's offering us here is not a life of ease and self-gratification. It's not freedom from responsibility. But it is a freedom from the crushing weight of the burdens that he promises to bear with us. And he gives us a way of life that we were designed to live. And in that way, the life is easier. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, one of our biggest concerns in coming to Jesus is the idea that we'll lose ourselves. So we'll come to Jesus and somehow we'll become something that isn't really very much like us. And that's why for many, moral rules make them feel uncomfortable. It makes us wonder if we'll be asked to give up too much. So he used a metaphor. He said, you know, imagine a good man, an honest man, wanting to fulfill his duties and pay his taxes. But his hope still is that he'll have something left over at the end to live on. So as long as we think of life in those terms, we'll find that way of life burdensome. But the way Jesus calls us to is something different, something harder and easier at the same time. Harder because he demands that we give himself or give ourselves completely to him, not just part of us. But easier because he promises to bear the load and give us the life that we were meant to live. So Jesus asks us, invites us to come, burdens and all, and he will give us rest. But how does that work? Well, let me give you four different ideas, four different kinds of burdens, types of burdens that we often bear. Some of these will be familiar. Some of these may actually surprise you, but they're four different burdens that I believe Jesus promises to carry along with us. And the first of these is a burden for those for whom religion has become a burden. Now, again, this is not something we often think of, but it certainly would have been top of mind for those who heard what Jesus said so many years ago. This is the burden that, at least for them, had been created by the law, at least the version of the law taught by the religious authorities of the day. And here's how what Jesus said helped them. He said, instead of peace and rest, many of you feel crushed by the religious expectations. Everything that's been added on doesn't make you feel closer to God, but further away. And he says, are you tired from carrying those heavy burdens? Come to me and I will give you rest. And he invited them to see that the core of a faith is not a rules, but a relationship with him, not a set of do's and don'ts. Now, the standards don't go away, but knowing God's love for us and his willingness to share the burden with us shows us that that way is easy, the burden of light. And so rather than obey out of fear, we obey out of gratitude for the one that we know offers rest for our souls. Now, there's another burden that Jesus offers to carry, although it's one that some would object to, and it's the burden carried by those who reject religion altogether. Now, let me just be careful here because I know that some of you, um, frankly, consider yourselves in this category, and, and we want you here. We want to be with you in that process of exploring faith for yourself. And I know that some would say, well, I don't feel like I'm carrying any burdens. You'd say, I feel free. In fact, um, 
I feel more than free simply because I can make these decisions for myself. Now, I don't want to anyway belittle or ridicule what you're saying or where you're at, but I do believe that Christian faith makes sense. In fact, I think that's the best, most comprehensive and coherent explanation of human reality that there is. But that's a conclusion you'll need to come to yourself. But there is something I'd like you to consider, at least to explore for a moment. And that is that even if you do reject the idea of God, and some do, that there is another way to think about these things. Those who reject the idea of God sometimes just say, listen, the natural world is all that there is. There's no spiritual reality. It's only what I can see and taste and touch and feel. Now, I believe that there's some very good reasons for believing in God. We don't have time today to go into those, but it's important to point out also that if the natural world is all that there is, then life as we know it is simply the product of blind chance. Many, even those who do not call themselves Christians, reject this view. They know intuitively that we as human beings are more than just a sophisticated biological machine. That the Bible's vision is that God created us in his image. That he loves us, that he communicates with us, and that we have tremendous dignity. And that can't be if we're simply a product of blind chance. But there's an even more serious problem, I think, and that is if we simply assume the world is just a physical world, how do we find meaning? Because without meaning, life is empty and purposeless. It may feel good to rebel against conventional religious ideas, but what if all there is to life is what we can see? It may sound like total freedom, except it comes at a cost. Without a a, a source of moral values, there are no restraints. It's impossible to determine what's fair and what's not. It means there's no justice for those who have suffered at the hands of others. It suggests that life in the end is, as Thomas Hobbes once said, nasty, brutish, and short. There's nothing we can do about it. And that's not particularly reassuring. To those who have initially rejected religious ideas, Jesus says, come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is acknowledging, yes, the yoke restricts our freedom, but it's the easiest of yokes and the lightest of burdens because Jesus is gentle and shares the yoke and bears our burdens. The freedom we believe we get or gain by rejecting God is an illusion. Instead of freedom, we find ourselves slaves of our own desires. True freedom is the freedom to be our true selves. In order to be our true selves, we need to surrender to God, to die to self-centeredness, to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. And real freedom comes not in doing what we most want to do, but in doing what we were designed to do. The third burden is for those struggling under the burden of guilt and regret. It's interesting, the persistence of guilt in our modern consciousness has surprised many. Many believed that at some point along the way, guilt would sort of go away. In fact, Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher in the 19th century, predicted that once we got rid of the idea of God, guilt too would go, but that's not what's happened. It's been the opposite. And we feel this, for example, corporately. We live in a world with lots of problems, with climate change and world hunger and ethnic war and racism and economic inequality, and it makes us feel uncomfortable and responsible and even guilty. We all know that we could do more, more to fix these problems, to reduce our carbon footprint, to feed the hungry, house the homeless, employ the unemployed, to reach across racial divides. But it's not just global problems. It's the stuff we do on our own that gets in the way. At the core, we acknowledge that we have a propensity to mess things up. 
And we know that we do it because we can all think of ways that we've blown it, sometimes really blown it. Even children understand this. And then we just grow up and the capacity for wrongdoing grows. And there are more opportunities for us to color outside the lines. The problem is, is that try as we may, we know that things aren't quite right. Unless someone's a sociopath or lacks any sort of conscience, there's nothing so troubling, so crushing as the burden of regret and shame and guilt. It's impossible to go back and undo what's been done. And we wonder, can't Jesus just lift a little of the burden? Can he lift the crushing load of guilt and give relief to our souls? And the answer is yes. Jesus simply invites us to come. What do we have to do? We just need to come. Because forgiveness is a gift. It's utterly undeserved, but it is absolutely free. Some try to make it complicated, but it isn't. And there's nothing we're so sure of when we read the stories, especially in the New Testament, than this. The biographies of Jesus are full of examples. And you think of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. He was the most committed. He was ready, he said, to die for Jesus. And yet, when Jesus was on trial, Peter denied him three times. After Jesus rose from the dead, they had some conversation. Conversation in which Jesus invited him back in and forgave him. And importantly, gave him something to do. Peter became the earliest and greatest leader in the, in the Christian church. Or a man named Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy man, grew wealthy though through the, a corrupt business that um, defrauded hundreds if not thousands of hard-earned money. But he came to Jesus. He was transformed by Jesus as Jesus forgave him and inspired him to make things right. Or there's the story of the prodigal. It's a fictitious story, but really we know it's our story. And that is this young man who turned his back on his family. Really by asking for his inheritance, he was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. And he left. It didn't work out. And he came back and was received to his own surprise as a beloved son. In cases like these and many others, we see the burden lifted and the peace and joy and hope welling up where there was only despair. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What we need to know more than anything else is the love of God is deeper and stronger than anything that we've done, any sin that we've committed. It's not love that is indifferent to sin or trivializes it. It's not a love that ignores the seriousness of what we've done. It does not brush it aside as insignificant, but instead it is a love that sees sin for what it is in all its ugliness and yet frees us from the penalty through the death of Jesus on the cross. The final burden we wanna talk about is those who are just simply weighed down by the burdens of life itself. Jesus says, come. Come to those who might find anxiety or fear or responsibility have weighed them down. Or they're confused and indecisive about something that needs to be, a decision that needs to be made. He asks us to give him whatever is troubling us and to trust him with whatever we feel is too heavy to bear. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I mentioned at the beginning that I memorized these verses when I was in college, and I did so because I'd already learned, even at a relatively young age, that life can be hard. But I'd also learned that Jesus is a kind teacher, and that when I went to him, he was gentle and humble, and in him I found rest for my soul. And that even the yoke that he asked was easy and the burden was light. So when we join our life with his, we have rest. We have the peace of knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter how troublesome life becomes, Jesus is always with us. He is with us to the end. And that someday he will take us home to be with him to a place of eternal rest. 
Earlier, I mentioned the strategic vision that we uh, talked about a little over a year ago, and I mentioned the first value, invite others into a relationship with Jesus. Um, the second is to become a community of love. The last one is to become, uh, to serve others sacrificially. And it's the third value that I think Jesus is speaking to here. That is to become more like him. To become more like Jesus means putting on the yoke that he offers us and learning from him. And why would we do that? Because this is the way that we were designed to live. And who wouldn't want abiding peace? The kind of faith that sees everything, even our failures and losses, in the light of God's amazing grace. The kind of hope that endures even in discouraging circumstances. To be freed from sin and given the power to do what's right. To be liberated from loneliness and anxiety and fear. To flourish and to become the person that God has created us to be and to receive the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give. To follow Jesus is to discover that he alone can satisfy our deepest longings, transform our most persistent failings, to heal our deepest pain. And what more could we ask for? Because Jesus can be trusted. He's the smartest, wisest, and most loving person who ever lived. And sure, trusting Jesus requires surrender. We need to take the yoke that he asks us to take upon him, on ourselves. And yet his way is best. It may not always be simple. It may not eliminate all the difficulties, but it is a way that frees us from the burdens that so plague us. And so Jesus says to each one of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we quiet our hearts before you and we hear the voice of Jesus saying, come. And so we come with the do's and don'ts of life that sometimes weigh us down, with a hesitation that we have to submit our lives to you, with the struggles that we have to accept the forgiveness that you offer for our shame and regret and guilt. And with the burdens of our present circumstances, whatever our fears, anxieties, disappointments, anything that we're facing, Father, we, we give you those. Help us to experience your rest. And may we learn from your gentle and humble heart. And as we take on the yoke of obedience, may we find it easy and light. And so it is that we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.